Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Our new uh, sermon series, uh, we've been uh, kind of doing some standalone series up until this point uh, for the last kind of six weeks, and so we're getting ready to dive headlong into a series that's going to take us right up to the Advent or Christmas season, uh, right around Thanksgiving time. And so we're going to be looking at kind of the names of God. And so the name of the series is called I Am. And this kind of I Am name is kind of a, has double meaning. Number one, it's I Am. That's the name that God has revealed himself to be to Moses. Um, And Moses is at the burning bush. Um, Moses says, what am I supposed to tell the people who sent me? And he's like, tell them that I Am has sent you. And so God kind of says that I Am... (laughs) all that there is. I am this great, powerful creator being. I am the God of gods, and I am with you. And then from this, we also want to kind of look at it from a, from a second standpoint of after looking and reflecting on who God is and really spending a lot of time there, we want to see, so who are we in light of who God is? So if God is provider, how are we provided for? And then finally, if we're created in God's image, how are we to go out and do that also, be providers to other people and to our city and to our nation and to the people around us. And so this kind of idea of I am is bigger than just this name of God, but it kind of encompasses this like, who is God? Who are we in light of God? And what are we called to go and do about that because of who our God is? And so this morning, as we kind of kick off and get into the series on this name of God, I want to start first with the story. And this story begins when I was just a little child, probably about Haley's age, maybe a little bit older, but I remember kind of that season in my life when I could just start to read things, when you could see the signs, and I knew that there were signs, and I knew that there were symbols and letters on those signs, but I didn't quite know what they meant, and then one day, everything starts to like click, and you begin to see like, oh, that's an Ace hardware store on the corner, you know, three-letter word, Ace. I'm like, mom, what's Ace? And she's like, well, it's a hardware store. It's a place where you can go and, you know, get nails, hammer, stuff like that. And I was like, okay. And now I knew what ace meant. And I just remember how, as we drove, my (laughs) fascination in the back seat was to try and read as many road signs as I could, to try and read as many business signs as I could. And the more I could read, the more and more it was revealed to me what these things were. Now, just because I could read the word ace on the hardware store didn't mean that I knew what Ace hardware store was. I had never been inside, and so one day my dad took me inside, and I actually got to experience Ace hardware. So now when I saw the word Ace, it actually meant a little bit more because I could say, well, I've been there. It wasn't just the sign that we passed every day. And also, I remember pulling up to a Little Caesars kind of on a Friday, and every time we pull up to Little Caesars, I get really excited because when I would read the name Little Caesars, I knew that that meant that we were about to engage in some pizza, and if we were really lucky, we were about to engage in some crazy bread on top of that. And so <laughs> these words or these names of places were significant, but I wasn't excited about the name Little Caesars. I could care less about the name Little Caesars. I was actually more excited about what I was about to experience because of the name Little Caesars. And that's kind of how I want to approach this series on these names of God, is that we're going to look at the different ways that God reveals himself, just like these signs reveal (laughs) the reality of these places. But what I don't want us to do is to get caught up on the sign and to kind of worship the sign and say, 
oh man, you know, this word, word of God, this name of God, it, it, it's so rich and it has so much meaning. And we begin to, to look at the sign and we miss what the sign is pointing to. And that's an actual real life engagement and encounter with God. And so what signs do and what names do is that they provide an expectation for what we're about to experience next. Pull up the Little Caesars, I know we're about to experience pizza. Pull up the Ace Hardware, I know we're about to go into a hardware store and all that is encountered in a hardware store because I've been there. And so what I want for us is to see these names as rich, but ultimately as a tool to guide us into deeper <laughs> relationship and encounters with God. And so I don't want us to stop at just the name and say, man, that's a great name of God. I know so much about the name of God. And I don't want us to to mistake our knowledge around the name of God for knowing God. But my hope is that these names of God and the way that he reveals himself to us would draw us closer to him. Now, the fact that God reveals himself in name is important. The fact that he gives himself a name in his written word and he reveals it in multiple ways and that he has different names in different capacities is significant because God is not an abstraction anymore. When God takes on a name, he takes on a personality trait, he takes on a way that is relatable where we can encounter him, where he's inviting us into relationship with him. And so that's significant, that this God that we serve is not just some pie in the sky out there, but he's someone that's near and who speaks to us and actually tells us his name and tells us quite a few names. And so, we're, like I said, I think we've got about 10 to 11 weeks, so we're going to look at about 10 or 11 different names of God in the way that God reveals himself to us in the way that that's significant. And the way that we want to look at each name is we want to see how the Trinity also engages and <laughs> encompasses that name as we look throughout Scripture. And so today's first name that we're going to look at is the name that God reveals to him first in the Bible in the Old Testament. And so if you turn to Genesis 1, chapter 1, we read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very first book, I mean the very first verse of the book of the Bible, God is creating. And the word for God here is Elohim. So you guys say it with me, Elohim. Elohim. All right, so this, this word Elohim is kind of a compound word. The first part is the L. It's E-L. This L part stands for mighty and strong. Strong and mighty is kind of the conjunction on the, on the front of that. And the, then the Elohim, or the, the Elohim, is the name for God. And it's actually plural. And so what we have in the first verse of Genesis 1.1 is in the beginning, the mighty gods created the heavens and the earth. You know, you're thinking, whoa, I thought we served one God. I thought there was only one God. What do you mean gods created the heaven and the earth? And what we find is that in the very beginning, there's kind of this mystery paradox around the idea of who God is and what he's up to in the sense that God reveals himself as a plurality, as a community, in this first verse, while also being able to be one. And so we call this mystery the Trinity. And we see this Trinity revealed at the very beginning because if we move to the second verse, what do we see? We see the Holy Spirit there. It says the Spirit of God is brooding over the earth, is hovering over the earth, and it was formless and in full of void. And so we have the Holy Spirit there, right there, <laughs> revealed second. So we've got God creating heavens and earth, and then we've got God's spirit. And this also spirit of God is also Elohim. So the spirit of the gods is around the earth. But what we find in Genesis, not Genesis, in Deuteronomy chapter, sorry, I lost my notes. 
yeah, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, what we see is that um, the author of Deuteronomy says, the Lord our God is one. And this, our God, is the word Elohim again. And so he is one. And so there's this plurality, there's this community in who this God is. Now, when you ask the Jews how they handle this idea of the plurality of God in Genesis chapter 1, they say, oh, no, 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 no. Just ignore that that is in the plural there. It's actually one God. It's singular. We understand it as singular, even though it's found in the plural, um, because we believe in, in one God. You can turn to Deuteronomy 6.4. It says, the Lord our God is one. And as Christians, we believe that God is one. But somehow, in a mysterious way, God is also three, that God reveals himself in three different ways as the Father, as the Son, and as the Holy Spirit. And so in the beginning, we see that the Father is there as, the, as God, the Creator, and then we also see the Spirit there, very near, brooding over the surface of the earth, over creation. And then if we go to the New Testament, in John chapter 1, verse 1, 1 through 3, we see that John believes that Jesus is also there in the beginning with the creation of the world. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. Without him, nothing, not anything made <laughs> that was made. And so we see that there is this relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit kind of there at the be beginning in this word Elohim. Um, now this word Elohim throughout the text also will refer to kind of the pagan gods as well. And in that place, the plurality makes sense because there were multiple, multiple pagan gods. There was sun god, moon god, fertility gods. There are all these different pagan gods. And so Elohim will also be used throughout the Old Testament in that way to refer to these other gods. And so context matters to know which god we're talking about. And so in the beginning, though, it is clear that we're talking about this god that creates, this god that forms things out of nothing, this god that speaks. And what I love is that when we go to the Psalms, especially Psalm 139, where God talks about knowing us and creating us, it says that Elohim knit us together in the unformed places, that he knew us before there was any type of formation within our mother's womb, and that he was knitting us together with his hands in our mother's womb. I mean, that is profound to know that the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, knew us before we had any form, had plans for us before we were even born, had purposes for us right now when we breathe in his air and breathe it out, and that he was intentional working in our mother's womb, creating us for the purposes of his glory and for his purposes here on this earth. And so our God is a God who creates there's this beautiful story in Exodus, and uh, it's one that I kind of referenced earlier where Moses is encountering God through the burning bush. Moses is just tending his, his sheep, and he looks over and he sees this bush that's being consumed by fire, but yet it's not being burnt up. And he, I mean, that catches your attention. And so he walks over to this bush, and he hears God speak through this bush, and he takes off his sandals because he's, he realizes that he's on holy ground and that he is encountering God, and the God that he's creating there is Elohim, the Elohim God, this mighty God, this creator God, and it's, I think it's fitting <laughs> from a literary standpoint that Moses is encountering this God of creation as the form that is Elohim, as the God who creates. And when he talks 
out of this bush. When God talks out of this bush to Moses, he gives them this command. You are the person that's supposed to go and free my people Israel out of the hand of Pharaoh. And Moses asks this question. He's like, who am I? Who am I to go do this? And I think you and I have been there. This is an identity question that I think a lot of us ask because we hear God say something. And we hear God call us to go do something. And we're like, God, who am I to go do that? I'm not equipped. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. Moses' excuse is that he couldn't speak. He's like, I got the speech impediment. God, you want me to go and lead these people? I can't even talk. I can't even talk in front of people. Maybe Moses was incredibly introverted. I mean, he was a shepherd. I mean, all he interacted all the time was with sheep. Maybe the idea of encountering people was this terrifying fear. He's like, I can't talk in front of people. And what I love is that God responds. He said, he asks him, Moses, who made your mouth? Who made your mouth? And it's kind of this rhetorical question that Moses really never gets a chance to answer. But it's a beautiful question because it's this place where God knows exactly who he's dealing with. Because he created Moses. He created Moses in the innermost being. He knitted him together for this purpose, to go and free his people. And he knows Moses' mouth. And he's like, look, I have made you, and I have created you for this purpose, whether you believe it or not. So our God is a God who creates. And he creates good things. What I love about Genesis 1-1 is that whenever he speaks and he creates something, he likes to brag about it. He's like, made heaven and earth, it was good. Made the animals, it was good. And then he says, let us make man in our own image. Let us, it's this, again, this plurality of God that I feel like you cannot ignore. That's there, the Trinity, in the very beginning. Let us make man in our own image. And when he makes us, for some reason, he feels like he's got to say, and it was very good. No one else gets this kind of like superlative of very good, but we do. He says, you are very good. You are the apple of my creation. And in all of this creating, he has plans for us to go and do. I love this verse in Isaiah chapter 43. It says this, it says, But now, says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob? He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Again, we see God forming, creating, and then claiming. We see him creating a way that provides salvation and redemption for us when we have messed it up. He knows that we're going to break this world that's around us, but he's not afraid of that. He's willing to engage in that, and he's, he's so willing to engage in it that he's willing to create a new way to bring us back into a relationship with him. And he says, everyone who is called by my name, I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And when we go to the New Testament, I think we hear Paul echoing these words of Isaiah 43. And so if we have these words of Isaiah 43 fresh in our brain, just think about how it applies to Paul's words here in Ephesians chapter 2 about who we are in relationship to our God and how our God is the God of creation, of creating salvation, but also just creating good things um, that we get to benefit from. And so he says this in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, you were dead in the trespasses of sin in which you once walked, following the courses of this world, following the prince and power of the air, and the spirit that's now in work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, 
like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in his mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and you have been raised up with him. And he seats us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show the measurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that anyone may boast. Now here he says, For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. And so what we find here in these two verses, uh, these two passages, that we have a God who just loves to create stuff. He's the almighty God, and he's creative, he's imaginative, and he loves to create and form things. He likes to create and form you, but not only that, he likes to make plans, and he likes to execute those plans with goodness and with precision, and he does it through his spirit and through his son, and even when we mess it up, when we break it, when things get really ugly, he's patient with us, he's gracious with us, and he creates a new way through his son, dying on the cross through his spirit, revealing his love and his grace to us and to our hearts that we could come back into relationship with him. And so what we find kind of throughout the whole text and through this idea of this plural Elohim of God is that we were created for relationship with God. And we were created for relationship with one another. And so in all of this, God is doing this creating and redeeming, and God's glory and God's grace is proclaimed. And so what I believe is that what our job is, as people that are created in God's image, that we're supposed to go forth and proclaim his glory and to share his glory with other people. And the question is, well, how do we do that? How do we share what God's doing in our lives with other people? And the first thing is, is that before we get to other people, I think we need to take a step back and enter into true relationship with Jesus and true relationship with God that is our creator. And allow the reality of him as creator, as one who's knit us together, who loves us, who has saved us, to really impact us in new ways. In ways that maybe we haven't allowed to impact us before. John says that we are to abide in Christ and allow Christ to abide in us. And I think the reality is that as Christians, we know a lot about God. We know a lot about Jesus. We might have even heard this word Elohim before and the idea that he's a plurality and that his trinity is present in the beginning. You might have known all of that. What I'm afraid is that as Christians, a lot of times we stick with the head knowledge and we don't ever get to experience it. We can read the word Ace Hardware and have somebody tell us all about Ace Hardware and never step inside. And we can go and tell other people about Ace Hardware and be like, yeah, it's this great hardware store. They've got all these supplies. I can tell you the inventory list. I can tell you all about it. But we've never experienced it. We've never engaged it. And it's my hope and it's my heart and it's my prayer that through this series that we would not stop at the name and that we would enter in this place of deep communion and rest and love and peace that's available through God and that we would know him. That we would know his heart for us that we would be able to <laughs> engage in ways where we are able to see that in the middle of all of it, we're not just created beings that God formed for his glory, but that we're created beings that he calls son and daughter, that he calls into intimate, familial relationship with one another. And so my question is, is that have you allowed your heart to be submitted to this type of grace, to this type of love, this type of grace and love that says that you can't earn it, 
as it said in Ephesians. This kind of grace and love that says that it's just there, free for the taking. Because I think at the end of the day, we can cognitively say, yeah, yeah, I want that grace, I want that love, I'm willing to, to rest in it. But then we go throughout the rest of our lives trying to prove ourselves trying to prove that we're worthy of God's grace and God's love. And we try and get ourselves right with God and try and be like, hey, God, look at what I'm doing over here. Aren't I so good? Can you love me now? The reality is that he loves us already. He sent his son to die for us. He's given us every good and perfect gift through the sending of his son and allowing him to sacrifice and die for us. The challenge is for us is to receive that because it's an incredible gift. And often with incredible gifts, there's kind of this, this guilt or this idea that we, we have to pay it back or we have to earn it or we have to, we have to do something around it because it's just it's too good to be true. But the reality is, is that God loves us and God has called us son and daughter. And the question is, is have we humbled ourselves and have we allowed ourselves to be submit to that love and that grace? And we don't love that word submit, but I think that that's what we have to do to our wills to be able to receive this gift that Jesus is doing, is that we have to be able to say, you know what, I know I'm broken, I know that I'm a mess, I know that I am not good in your sight, and those are hard things to admit, those are kind of the things that are hidden in our heart that we're like, I don't want to share that with anyone, I don't want to expose that, like, I really don't want people to see the darkest side of me. But Jesus knows, he's like, this is why I've come to bring you back into relationship with me. And so my hope is that throughout this week as we move forward is that you would take some time to abide. That you would take some time to see God as your creator. To see God as the creator of all things around us and to be awed and moved. To see the bumblebees resting on the roses. To see the grass sprouting out of the ground. To feel the breeze. To know that God is the creator, but also not just the creator of the world, but the creator of you. And that he knows you better than you know yourself. And that whatever you've been through, he's here to heal it, he's here to patch it up, he's here to, to bring us into a place of new creation. The next thing that I want us to kind of engage with is that his Holy Spirit is living with inside of us. And we have a God who says he's the creator, right? And the beautiful thing is that I don't believe that God is done creating. I believe, if anything, God is just kind of at the beginning of this creating, and that one of the things that God cannot help but do is create. And one of the things is that he sends his Holy Spirit to abide in us, to create within us a new creation, to transform us. And so my question to you this week also is, how is God speaking to you through the Holy Spirit? What is, what is the Holy Spirit creating inside of you? What is he stirring up? In Philippians, Paul says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And a lot of times I think we get set on the completion part. We're just like, I just want to get there. I just want to be complete. I want to be, <laughs> I want to be sufficient. I want to be made whole. I want to be able to be glorious on my own. God, can we just speed this process up? When in reality, this process of bringing to completion, this perfection that he talks about is actually just kind of asking this question, what's the next step? What's the next step? What is, what is the Holy Spirit causing you to grow in this week? What is he creating inside of you? And I love this idea of creation because I, I like to create. I like to be imaginative. I like to, to get my hands dirty. I like, I'm a starter. I like starting stuff. 
Sometimes I start a book and I don't finish it because I'm like ready to start another book. And so I need to be disciplined in finishing through the books. I need to be disciplined in, in seeing these things through. But what I don't want us to do is as we think about this question of what is the Holy Spirit creating in me, is that we go to him with kind of this attitude of, okay, God, what is next? Where do I need to grow next? Show me. Now I'll feel bad and shameful about it. Now I'm going to try really hard the next week to do better in that. Because I think Christianity often does that. Sometimes we can hear a message of like, hey, go abide in God, go rest in him, and like just hear from him, just hear what he's trying to change, and so you can be a better Christian this week. And that's not what I want us to hear. What I want us to hear is what is the Holy Spirit creating? And what is he giving you the courage to go and do? It's not the thing that we go and do on our own, but it's the thing that he, start, that he has already started within us, that we say, hey, I think God's forming this in me. And a lot of times we might begin to feel like Moses where it's like, who am I? Who am I to go do this thing that you're calling me to do? And I think the way that we avoid acting like Moses is that we rest and we know the goodness of who our God is. We know that he's the creator. We know that he is good and we know that he has good plans for us. And what I love too is that sometimes we need to hear our own story over again. Sometimes instead of always looking forward, always asking what's next, we need to take some time and look back and ask, what has God brought me through? How has God been faithful in the past? And allow those moments in our lives to inform how God is going to be faithful in the future to what he's calling to us to next. Because God is good and he has a track record oftentimes in our life of being good. So what is God calling us to create what is God stirring within us? And how can we see him as creator and rest in that? So those are, those are kind of two action points around who God is. Now, the other thing is that our God is creator, and we need to worship him as such and acknowledge him as such. But the other thing is that we're made in his image. We're people made in his image. And so that means that we're, we're called to go create stuff. We're called to go, and <laughs> in Genesis it says, to rule and subdue the earth. And that's a, that's a bold claim. That's a strong claim. We've been given responsibility over this earth. We've been called to go and make culture. And so my question is, is what are you creating? And I think that we're creating in a number of ways. We're creating through our jobs. We're creating through our relationships. We're creating through our families. We're creating through our finances. We're creating through the ways that we use our time. The way that we structure all of that is the freedom to create. And God kind of gives us the stamp of approval on mankind to go and create. Now with this freedom, what I find is that us as human beings, there are two different ways that we can use this freedom to create stuff. We can either create stuff for God's glory and to allow him and his name and his greatness to be known, or we can use it for our own glory. And what oftentimes happens with humans because we are frail is that we often tend to use it for our glory. I mean, not too far into Genesis, we find that human beings have come together throughout the earth and they say, you know what, we're going to build for us a city, a city so high that it's going to reach the heavens. And the world will look upon us and say, look at how great these people are. And God says, not today. Not today. And he's, he, he gives us this blessing. A lot of times we look at this curse, that, this, that it's a curse that we have different languages throughout the world, but it's actually a blessing because he's given us the command to multiply and spread across the earth, and we disobeyed in that, and he blesses us. 
with multiple languages so that we would go and do the good and right thing that was the will of God to spread across the earth. And so we go do that. But the question is, is what are we creating and to what ends is it being created for? Are we using it for our own glory to where people would look at us and be like, man, that was good. You were really good. Or are we using it to bless and serve and love others and point at the beauty and the glory that is found in our God? I think I know it's like a really huge kind of question and I hope to bring it down to the ground level a little bit more. And so I think that kind of four different places that we can look at places that we create are our relationships, our jobs, our hobbies, and our legacy. And so first, looking at our relationships, the relationships that we are creating, are we creating relationships for the purpose of growing in relationship with God and having him revealed in community among us? Or are we growing in relationships as kind of like a personal crutch to prop us up? Because I know that in some marriages, in some relationships, in some friendships, that person is kind of elevated to a place of worship and deity in place of where God is supposed to be. Or we just think if we were to surround ourselves with just enough people or the right people, then maybe the world would be right for once and I would feel good. But what we need to do is just kind of subtly change and look at our spouse or look at our friends and look at the relationships that we're creating in just a different light and say, how am I called to serve this person? How am I called to love this person? How am I called to show the beauty of God to this person through forgiveness, through mercy, through grace? All things which inherently are unnatural to us. Somebody makes us mad, it's easy to be like mad. I mean, you know that. Maybe you're (laughs) waiting in traffic. I know any time that I'm waiting in traffic, it's just like, come on. You get anger, it flares up instead of having grace and compassion for, who knows, maybe there's an accident in front of us. And those relationships need our prayer, not our wrath. They need our presence, not our selfish disengagement of it. The second place is that we can look into our jobs. All of us, I assume, have some form of functioning job, even if it's working at home. There is jobs, there is work to be done. There is organization to be had. There are rooms to be cleaned and to be put back into order. There's product to be made. But at this places of work, not only are we engaging in places where we create beauty and where we create order and we're fulfilling what God has called us to do in Genesis chapter 1, but it's also a place where we get to engage in relationships. I just want to challenge us that as we look at our work, that our work is an opportunity to engage people around us with this kind of grace and forgiveness and love that we're all looking for. I mean, I challenge you, if you're in a place of supervision over people, that you have an incredible opportunity to show grace and love and forgiveness and mercy in most places where most people in the corporate world are going to execute judgment and quick wrath. I've heard of stories of how supervisors talk to their employees and treat them like dirt. We are in a place as Christians who believe that we are created, that we have worth, that we have value, and that God has knitted us together to where we can speak that worth into people even when they mess up because we know that we've been there too. We're in a place where we can give grace. And maybe, maybe you have a manager who does, who does take away your self-worth, who does belittle who you, who does speak lies over you. It's an opportunity where you can serve them and blow them away. Be like, I just, I just belittled you to nothing. And yet you're willing to serve 
and have mercy and have grace for me, that's going to blow them away. Our job is an incredible place where we get to engage in a relationship with people and show the glory of God that we are created beings with worth and value. Our hobbies are also a similar place where we get to create beauty. We get to create something that God has put inside of us, something that we enjoy, something that's unique to us. I think of Todd Wetker and his desire for trains and his love of trains and how he invites people into it. I, whenever I go to his house, we're always going down to his basement to look at his train set. And the precision and the detail that that man puts into his trains is, is worthy. And it's beautiful. And it's kind of awe-inspiring. And, and, and as long as it doesn't take this place of God, it's this place where we can say, man, God is good. And we get to kind of like mimic and play creator in this place. We get to see the beauty and the glory that's just in this kind of fun hobby that's there. But he's inviting people into relationship with it. He goes to conferences where he like sets up his trains and he gets to engage people on a relational level. And so our hobbies are a place where we get to also show God's glory with people. And then finally, I want to talk about our legacy. And our legacy is kind of this twofold thing. It's kind of this thing that most of us probably initially aren't super excited about because that means that we die. But that day is going to come. And when that day comes, when we're at the funeral, what's going to be talked about? Is God going to be glorified more than you? Or is it going to be about you and how you glorified yourself throughout this life? What are people going to talk about? Are people going to talk about all that you created for yourself or how you were stingy or how you were selfish or how you were this or that? Now, I know that those things actually never get talked about from the front at a funeral. But they're talked about at the sides. People know. I've been to funerals at both where, like, God is glorified and he is lifted up through that person's life. And you just can't help but talking about Jesus and talking about God and this person in the same sentence in the same breath. But I've also been to funerals where you talk about this person's hobbies or this person's brokenness and kind of their loneliness and, and how they, you know, you're not really, you're, you're, people are struggling to find meaning around this person's life. And so what is the legacy that we're looking to leave behind? And how can we rest in the Creator and rest in God and allow Him to create within us a place where we can bring glory to His name and honor to His name everywhere we go? It's our work to be in this beautiful place, to be in this beautiful place where Elohim, this God that creates, is with us. He's near with us. And he wants to be in relationship with us so much so that he created a way for us to be in relationship with him. And so let's take this week and be really intentional about engaging that. Let's just not look at Elohim and look at mighty God and say, that was a great word this week. But like, let's dig in and let's create some space where we can intentionally engage with the creator of the universe, the creator of you and me, the creator of this community. Allow him to speak love and life and truth into our brokenness and into our frailty and allow us to go and give that same hope and love to others. So I know these are some big questions that we ask kind of around work and hobby and relationships and I my hope is that, that we would go overwhelmed and kind of like feel like we have to engage them all. My hope is that throughout this time, throughout hearing God's word, that God is speaking to you in one specific way, that you would engage that. That you would hear from God in one way this week and that you'd say, this is where I need to rest. This is where I need to, to pour some energy into. This is where I need to, to be present to God as God is present to me. 
and that you would allow God to create something new inside of you. So we're going to come to this place of worship. We're going to come to this place of communion. We're going to come to this place of reflection. We're going to sing about three songs. And in this time of three songs, we're going to participate in communion. So we've got communion on both sides here. Whenever you feel moved in the next three songs, I encourage you to go and to take the bread and to dip it into the juice and to consume it. And as you consume the bread, I want you to think about the verse where God invites us to to abide in him and him to abide in us. And that as we consume this bread, that we would kind of take in this place of rest, this place of peace, where God is inviting in us and us and him, that we become aware of the fact that we are the tabernacle of God's Holy Spirit and that God's Holy Spirit just wants a deep relationship with us. And maybe that's the thing that he wants to create in you this week. Maybe it's just that. Maybe it's a a deepening or affirming of that relationship. Maybe it's from that place of relationship that he wants to, to grow out of you this place of flash anger. I don't know. I have no idea what it is. But we trust that God is a God who speaks and that our God is a God who's constantly and continuing to create. And that at the end of the day, this God that is Elohim, this God that is almighty, is a God who comes near and calls us sons and daughters. Would you guys pray with me? Dear Lord God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time that we have to get into your word and to kind of look at one facet of you, the almighty God, the God who is creator, the God who creates through the Father, through the Son, and through the Holy Spirit, all things that are around us. God, we give you praise of the glorious of your creation and the handiness of your work. And God, I thank you that you made me. I thank you that you made us in this room. That you've prepared for us a specific plan and purpose for your glory and for your kingdom. And God, I pray that you would create space this week for us to engage you in a deeper relational way. In a way that acknowledges you as creator and king of our lives. And that you would form something new in us. That you would start something new in us. That we would see that bubble up in our lives throughout the next couple weeks. That you are good and we put our trust in you. In your name we pray. Amen.